but you know, I'm glad that you guys are, are here. Our, our lead pastor, uh, Phil Trollian, is away this, this weekend, and so I have the opportunity to not only just give the message, but I get to preach a God and film sermon, which is, you know, like, no pressure or anything. Like, Pastor Phil's only been doing this for, like, two decades, right? You know, so I feel like I'm kind of, like, walking on, like, sacred ground here, you know, so no pressure. But, hey, um, you know, just a quick reminder as to why we do this series, and for those that are new and just kind of wondering what, what is this with God in, in film, you know, we don't do this because it's just something trendy or cool to do or just we like movies and we just need to figure out a way to make church more fun and entertaining somehow. No, we believe that movies actually have really great stories. Most movies do. Uh, and storytelling is just another expression, and it's a way to point us to something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus spoke in parables all the time. You know, and like he used storytelling to help us connect in a deeper way to the gospel. And so with these stories from these movies, even though they're not necessarily rooted in Christian films, we still believe that these stories can actually point us to God's heart. And so, like with anything, you know, when it comes to a different creative expression to help us connect with God, like one of the things we do is like worship music, right? Like we, we do worship music and sing songs and, you know, I could just simply read the lyrics of a song for you. So you have like a worship slide, like I could just read this, this is true. I could say, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. You are good, good, oh. You are good, good, oh, oh, right? <laughs> like, wow, that was really moving. Thank you for that, right? Anyone like connect with that? Right, it's like, okay, that's true what I'm reading to the Lord, but there's something to the singing and the melody and the rhythm of music. It just connects with us in a, in a different way. And like Jesus, he could have ditched the parables and just simply told the disciples like, hey, listen, no matter how lost you are, God will still love you and he will still pursue you. Like, that's true. But there is something about the telling of the parable of the lost son. It's just added a whole other layer of depth and meaning and connection. So that's why we do this with this series. It's just like parables, like worship. It's another tool. It's another creative expression. So last week, Phil kicked off the series with the movie Hamilton, a message on shame. And so today we're going to dive into the movie Soul. How many of you have seen this movie? Show of hands. Great movie, right? Yeah, it came out uh, Christmas Day of 2020, and I, I love Pixar, holds a special place in my heart, uh, just to let you know, like, here's my age, like, you know, I, to my memory, the very first movie that I saw in the theater, from what I can remember, I don't know, my mom's here today, she can, she can tell me if this is right, but the very first movie I saw in the theater was uh, Toy Story, Toy Story 1. So it was like 1994, so I was like five, five years old. So, you know, growing up with Pixar movies holds a special place. They're just powerful. So with this movie, Soul, you know, the music is incredible. The whole setting, everything is, is, is just phenomenal. But, you know, there's so many different avenues that I could have taken, so many different approaches to take with this film. But the theme that I kind of want to highlight today is a common theme that I think most of us wrestle with at some point in time, and that is ambition ambition or drive, you know, like the need to do something, to accomplish something, to accomplish something great, right? And sometimes as humans, we can get so fixated on the very thing that drives us, thinking that that thing will help us over time. And sometimes it can actually be the thing that hurts us or even destroys us. And so as Christ followers, it's really important for us 
to, to, to know what are the things that Jesus rescues us from. And this is one of those things, this certain type of ambition. And so I want to introduce the main character of this movie, Joe Gardner. Joe Gardner is a middle-aged man living in New York City. He's a phenomenal musician, and music is his passion. He's a part-time middle school band teacher. That's not his passion, but his dream is to really make it as a jazz artist. Like, that's, that's his goal. And so the first clip we're going to show is, is early on in the film, gets a call from one of his former band students that lets him know that they need someone to audition for this well-known jazz group that he's been gigging with, and they need someone uh, for, for that night. And so he calls up Joe, and Joe, who's just really determined to make his break, like no matter how old he gets, what the circumstances are, he's determined to like have his, his moment. So he sees this as opportunity. So the first clip, you're going to see who Joe is, what he's about, what he wants, and what's the conflict that gets in the way of what he desires. So let's roll that first clip. Hey, look, I'm the new drummer in the Dorothea Williams Quartet, and we're kicking off our tour with the show at the Half Note tonight. Dorothea Williams, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Congratulations, man. Wow, I would die a happy man if I could perform with Dorothea Williams. Oh, well, this could be a lucky day. Hey, Dorothea, this is the cat I was telling you about. My old middle school band teacher, Mr. Gardner. Call me Joe, Dorothea. I, I mean, uh, Miss Williams. Uh, it's a pleasure. Wow, this is amazing. Uh, Joe is Ray Gardner's son. So, we're down to middle school band teachers now. Get on up here, teach. We ain't got all day. What, what, what do we play? Uh, sorry, I zoned out a little back there. <laughs> Joe Gardner, where have you been? I've been uh, teaching middle school band. Uh, uh, but on the weekends, I... You got a suit? I... Uh... Get a suit, Teach. A good suit. Back here tonight, first show's at 9, sound checks at 7. We'll see how you do.
I'm Joe, Joe Gardner. Look, I'm not supposed to be here. Ah, must have been sudden for you. You see, Joe, I'm 106 years old. Been waiting a long time for this. For what? The Great Beyond. The Great Beyond? As in, as in beyond life? Yeah. That's death right there? Exciting, isn't it? No, 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 no. Listen, I have a gig tonight. I can't die now. Well, I really don't think you have a lot to say about this. Yes, yes, I do. I'm not dying the very day I got my shot. I'm due. Heck, I'm overdue. Uh-uh, 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 I'm out of here. I don't think you're supposed to go that way. This can't happen. I'm not dying today. Not when my life just started. So... Interesting way to like kick it off in a children's film, right? You know, the first five minutes, just dead, right? So it's like Joe has this, this moment. He, you know, he, he feels like, okay, this, this is it. He senses like his breakthrough is coming, and then within minutes, like, it's gone. It's just completely stripped away. You know, like the fame is there for what they call like your, your 15 seconds to fame. Like most people have that in their life, but then like fame to nothing like Je Joe, like it's just like that. It's gone. And he's, he's now in this place like, wait, what, what's happening? How is it that my life is, is over? Right. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you've had that sort of 15 seconds to fame window. Anyone ever have that moment where you thought like this might be it. Or maybe you knew somebody like that, you know, made a video and it like went viral and like things are going to change for me now. Like here's my, my breakthrough, right? Like some, some of us have moments like that. And, but, but for some of us, like maybe fame isn't exactly the thing that you want, but, but most of us, you know, we desire a, a, an amount of ambition where we want our lives to really count for something and we want to accomplish something to become someone. Like you have these questions run through your mind. Like, right, you, you have questions like, what am I, what is it that I want to achieve? What do I want to, to do? What, what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? What impact do I want to make in the world? What is it that I want? Like, is, is it a certain amount of money or a family, uh, a career, an objective, some, you know, specific business? Like, what is it that I want? Do I have those kind of desires? And as Christ followers, it can be really easy to say, like, no, like, I don't, I rid myself of all desire. But like, that's, that's not entirely true, right? Like, you should want your life to count for something. 
That's not a bad thing. But how is it that we know when we've kind of slipped into this kind of ambition where the things that we hope will help us might actually end up hurting us over time? that can actually destroy us and do like weird stuff in the world? And how do we know that we're becoming the person God wants us to become, to follow his heart? And, and what does it mean to know that we've been rescued by God through Jesus and to live a life that's full of meaning and not just simply chasing after the wind for 15 seconds? And so I'd like to look at who might be the most ambitious person in the scriptures. It's a man named Saul uh, who becomes Paul. And if you don't know the story of Saul, Saul is like the most zealous guy, right? Like super religious and, and like his whole drive is, is to, to make sure he has life right with God. And, and, and Saul learns of this upstart cult that's, that's forming and developing, you know, from, from this rabbi, this man who was born in the middle of nowhere, who wasn't adequately trained, which I'm sure it really bothered Saul. Uh, and, and this man is supposedly gathering followers unto himself and supposedly healing the sick and, and raising the dead. And, and Saul's buddies, you know, make an attempt to stop this cult from happening, to stop it dead in its tracks. They, they, they execute this rabbi, Jesus. But then the story goes on that he's supposedly been risen from the dead. And so Saul is infuriated by this because this, this cultish teaching, it, this heretical behavior, it's spreading throughout the region. Saul takes it upon himself to put an end to it. And he is zealous for this. Like he's driven by this motive. And I think that Saul, like he thinks that he's right. He thinks he has right cause and that he's somehow, you know, purifying the, the, the faith of his forefathers by doing this. So like anyone who's doing anything cultish or heretical, he takes it upon himself to imprison and murder followers of Jesus. So the story we're going to pick up on is uh, in Acts chapter 9. You might be familiar with this story, but Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's heard of another band of followers, these cult followers, that he's going to basically threaten into submission. And something happens to Saul along the way that changes his life forever. Verse 3 says, As he neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Now, if you've not read a lot of the scriptures, this man, Saul, becomes the apostle Paul. And so this, this man, Ananias, goes to Saul, prays for him. He receives his sight. And then God puts a call on Paul's life. And this zeal that he once had to snuff out the followers of Jesus is now turned into a new kind of zeal where he speaks of the life that's found in Jesus. And then he goes on to basically be, become like one of the most effective uh, church planters in, in, in our church history. He writes much of what we, what we read in the New Testament. But in this passage that we just read in chapter 9, it's clear that Saul has completely lost his way, lost touch with reality, right? And like Joe, Joe has this, this experience 
where he's now like he, he, he's, he's being awakened to this like harsh reality. It's a harsh wake up call for him. Right. And he doesn't exactly understand what's going on. As you saw in that last clip towards the end, that big bright light, the great beyond. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing this. And so he starts running in the opposite direction. He escapes this dimension. And what happens is he ends up landing in this other dimension called the great before. And it's in this space Joe meets these, these characters, they're these uh, counselors, they're, they're all named Jerry, and these counselors, they, they train and equip unborn souls for life. And so what, what that means is they have, they have to like fill out these boxes on this pass, like, you know, these personality traits, and once every box is checked off, they get a pass where they can finally go to earth and live life in human form. So Joe meets one of these unborn souls by the name of 22. She has one box to check off, and that's her, her spark or her passion. But here's the thing, she doesn't care to get that box checked off because she has no desire to live life on earth. Just this very cynical soul, but she meets Joe, very quickly discovers Joe's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be in the great before. Joe is, in fact, dead. She's fascinated by this, and so she's determined to help him. And so they set out on their journey to find this character, Moonwind, who's going to find a loophole to try to get Joe back to his body. So let's roll the next clip. Okay, look, I'm sure your life was amazing and you did amazing things, but here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna stand here in silence for a little bit, then we go back out, you say you tried, I go back to not living my non-life, and you go to the great beyond. No, look. Thanks, but no thanks, Doc. I already know everything about Earth, and it's not worth the trouble. Come on, don't you want to fill out your path? <sighs> you know, I'm comfortable up here, I have my routine, I float in mist, I do my Sudoku puzzles, and then like once a week, they make me come to one of these U-seminars. It's not great, but I know what to expect. Look, is there any way to show a different life in this place? It's my life. It's not what we're looking for. Wait, 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 wait. that's not how I remember it going down. I mean, I, I, I'm back when you have something. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Joe. We're looking for something different. No, I will not accept this kid. Give me that badge. I'm going back to my body. In here. Here it is. Where, where, where does it lead? Hey, you asked too many questions. How about you zip it for a minute, okay? And we're going there, why? Because I know a guy there. A guy who can help. A guy like you. Like me? As in, alive? Wait, are you actually helping me? Joe, I have been here for who knows how long, and I've never seen anything that's made me want to live. And then you come along. Your life is sad and pathetic, and you're working so hard to get back to it. Why? I mean, this I gotta see. Okay, let's go. Moon 
Wind. How are you? On the brink of madness, thanks for asking. Hey, got a request for you. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get back to my body. Can you help me? That's what we do. We are the mystics without borders, devoted to helping the lost souls of Earth find their way. I'm Moon Wind Star Dancer at your service. That's Wind Star Dreamer Moon, Dancer Star Wind Moon, and that's Dreamer Wind Dreamer Dreamer. These weirdos are going to help me get back? Just wait. Let's get this lost soul back home. Some people just can't let go of their own anxieties and obsessions, leaving them lost and disconnected from life. And this is the result. Make a trade? Looks like another hedge fund manager. Now to reconnect to your earthly body. Oh, that's me. Thank you. What am I doing with my life? I'm alive! I'm alive! Free yourselves! <laughs> it's beautiful! Whoa. We mystics meet in this glorious landscape every Tuesday. Sad. You know, lost souls are not that different from those in the zone. What? The zone is enjoyable, but when that joy becomes an obsession, one becomes disconnected from life. For a time, I was a lost soul myself. Really? Tetris. What are we waiting no, 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 for? No, don't, don't rush this. It's not the no, right. It's my time. Wait, not me. Quite the eye-opening experience for Joe in this moment, you know, where he's just seeing his life play out and, and, and thinking to himself like that his life was meaningless and feeling like, man, I didn't exactly achieve what I wanted to achieve. I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. The goals weren't exactly met. And then there's this discovery of, of lost souls. And, and honestly, like, I, I think if Saul was living in the Pixar universe, like, Saul would have become one of these lost souls where you can still be alive, but you're so consumed by whatever it is that drives you that you lose your soul along the way. And Jesus actually has something to say about that. Like, what good is it for man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul. And so this, the, the moment that we just read in Acts 9, you can put the slide back up, it's quite a turning point in Saul's zeal. I don't know if you've noticed the question that Jesus is asking him. He says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. Like, Saul doesn't exactly answer the question. He's not, he's, he's not understanding what Jesus is actually getting at here. Like Joe, Joe's not really aware of what's really the problem, the root of the problem, what's happening. Saul asked him, who are you, Lord, after Jesus says, why do you persecute me? You know, and it's almost like Saul's uh, lawyer techniques are, are coming into play here. Saul was a lawyer, okay, so he's like dodging it, right? So he says, why do you persecute me? Who are you? It's like he's saying, um, objection, Your Honor, uh, if I may. Like, I, technically, I'm not persecuting you. Uh, technically, I'm persecuting the church, Right? Like, technically, I'm not murdering and imprisoning Jesus. Technically, I'm murdering and imprisoning followers of Jesus. Technically. Right? Like, if you were a lawyer, wouldn't you want to say that? Right? Because that's true. Like, he's technically not persecuting Jesus. 
He's persecuting the church. But what Jesus reveals here in this moment is that to hurt the people of God is to hurt God himself. Saul has this moment of realization like, oh my goodness, the very people I'm trying to hurt are the very people God's trying to work through to make all things right in the world. But the question Jesus asks, I find a little strange. He says, Saul, why do you persecute me? The question is why, not what are you doing? But why are you doing this? You'd think the appropriate question would be, what are you doing, Saul? Like Jesus would come to him and say, Saul, like you're imprisoning and murdering people in my name. What are you doing? Do you know who I am? Like I am the Lord. I hear it in that Samuel Jackson voice, like right there. You know, I will strike down. You shouldn't know that movie, but you know, so he's like, what are you doing? What you're doing, Saul, is wrong. But no, that's not what he says. He says, why are you doing this? See, for every ambitious person that wants to make a mark in the world, which I hope is all of us, why is the right question. Not what are you doing, but why are you doing it? Like, why do you want this career? Why do you want this dream? Why do you feel the need to marry that person? Why is it that you're chasing after this, this objective? Why are you building your business the way that you are? Like 22 said in that moment, like you, this life, Joe, is sad and you want it. You're so desperate to get back to it. Why? See, it's in the why that everything is formed by way of the heart. And it's in the why that we discover what it is that we truly worship. Why are you doing this, Saul? It's in this that Jesus is farrowing out some pieces of Saul's life. It's like Jesus is saying, there's something wrong with the why in you. Like the why is what drives the what. And your why right now, Saul, is really just ambitious only for yourself. Like the why, this isn't about me anymore, Saul. This isn't about God anymore. This is about you trying to take hold of something and position yourself. And it screwed up the what along the way. And as Joe returns to, to, to earth, he, you can just see in his hurried pace, his determination, that his why is somehow skewed. It's twisted, and it's screwed up the what along the way. So the next clip will show, in this moment, we have Joe and 22. They've, they've dropped back into earth, but mistakenly landed in the wrong bodies. And so 22 lands in Joe's body. Joe lands in the body of a therapy cat. Okay, so now it's like this big dilemma. They got to do the switcheroo and figure this out. But Joe also has to get ready for his gig. And so trying to get him prepped, Joe needs a haircut. And Joe, as the therapy cat, tries giving himself a haircut and totally butchers it. So now they got to go see the barber. And it's in this, this dialogue with the barber that we kind of learn a little bit more about, about the why. And so we'll, we'll roll this next clip. Keep going. Hey, Joe, what are you doing here on a weekday? You didn't call for an appointment, man. It's gonna be a while. Uh, I was afraid of this. Go ahead and sit down. Oh, oh, my lord. You gotta wait, son. This is an emergency. What? That ain't cool, Dad. You could always let Harold cut your hair. His chair's wide open. Nah, I, I can wait. Joe, get your butt in this chair now. Should I even ask you how this happened? 
The cat did it. Stop sounding insane. I mean, um, I was um distracted getting ready to play with Dorothea Williams tonight. Dorothea Williams? That's big time, Joe. Congratulations. Joe ain't getting no gig, Des. You know he missed a close but no cigar. Ah, this guy. Joe, ignore him. Now let's fix you up. They say you're born to do something, but how do you figure out what that thing is? I mean, what if you pick up the wrong thing or somebody else's thing? You know, then you're stuck. Yeah, been there, I guess. I'll take one of those. I wouldn't call myself stuck, but I never planned on cutting heads for a living. Wait, but you were born to be a barber, weren't you? I wanted to be a veterinarian. So why didn't you do that? I was planning to when I got out of the Navy. Then my daughter got sick. And <laughs> barber school is a lot cheaper than veterinarian school. Well, that's too bad. You're stuck as a barber, and now you're unhappy. Whoa, whoa, slow your road here, Joe. I'm happy as a clam, my man. Not everyone can be Charles Drew inventing blood transfusions. Or me, playing piano with Dorothea Williams, I know. I wonder why sitting in this chair makes me want to tell you things, Des. That's the magic of the chair. That's why I love this job. I get to meet interesting folks like you, make them happy, and make them handsome. Wow, am I crazy or do I look younger? I may not have invented blood transfusions, but I am most definitely saving lives. I don't know about this crazy cat guy thing, man, but it is nice to finally talk to you about something other than jazz, yo. Huh, how come we um, never talked about your life before? You never asked, but I'm glad you did this time. Looking good, brother. Great show. So, you ready? Huh? To go home. I bet you're ready to get off this stinky rock, huh? What'd you think of Earth anyway? <sighs> I always said it was dumb. But, I mean, just look at what I found. Your mom sewed your suit from this cute spool. When I was nervous, Des gave me this. A guy on the subway yelled at me. It was scary. But I kind of liked that, too. <sighs> Truth is, I've always worried that maybe there's something wrong with me. You know? Maybe I'm not good enough for a living. But then you showed me about purpose and passion and... Maybe skywatching can be my spark. Or walking! I'm really good at walking! Those really aren't purposes, 22. That's just regular old living. And so Joe's barber, just, you know, he, he, he really just, you know, it shows the why is everything. He doesn't let his what, like, determine his value. The why is everything. And as you see, with, with 22 experiencing life in Joe's body, she's now experiencing the why of living while Joe is still focused on the what. And you can see that, like, at times if we get so fixated on the what, it can be derailing over time and also just adds so much pressure. Like that dialogue with 22 and Joe's barber, you know, it's like, well, you were, you were, you were, you were born to be a veterinarian, but now you're stuck 
being a barber. And like how many of us sometimes like wonder like, oh my goodness, am I not following like my path? Am I not doing the thing I was born to do? And as Christ followers, I see this all the time, this tremendous pressure of like, what's the will of God for my life? Am I doing the right thing? And I've seen it, especially in young people get so stressed and trying to make decisions. And it's almost like you're thinking God is playing like cosmic hide and seek with you. Like, hope you figure it out, you know? And then like one day you're going to get to heaven, he's going to be like, well, you know, great job being a school teacher, but you're supposed to be a fireman, so, right? And you're like, oh, I missed it. You know, as you put all this pressure on yourself and just wondering what is it when really the why is everything. So I wonder if you just ask yourself this, this question, like just take three seconds and ask, like, why do I want the thing that I want? Why? Why is it that I feel that I need to achieve whatever it is that you have that comes to mind, like whatever that thing is, why do you want it? It's important to go through this sort of evaluation reflection process, and it can be intense. It can be intense for people like me, because even when you're doing things that you think, okay, this is for the Lord, and you know, it's for the church, it's a good cause, it's even in these questions, you can actually discover that the why is a little bit skewed or twisted. And you may not, you may not know that until you actually ask the question, or when circumstances arise and this is forced upon you, like think back to like COVID, like back to COVID, like that was a long time ago, done with that. But like think back to lockdown, like right lockdown when everything was on pause. How many of you like had your what put on pause? How many of you had the what completely stripped away from you? You lost it. Like maybe that was a job. And how many of us like reacted similar to Joe? We're thinking like, this can't be happening. Like things just got started for me. I just got this promotion. I just got this new job. We just got engaged. We just set a date. We got the venue. This cannot be happening right now. And it forced you to ask the question, why do I do what I do? I mean, for, for, for people like me, it's like we, 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 we couldn't meet together anymore. Couldn't worship together anymore. We're speaking to an empty room and speaking to a camera. And it's like our what was stripped away and it forced us to ask the question, like, why do I do what I do? That question will always be there. It's important to take time to ask that question, to reflect on it, because the why is never going to go away. The issue of the why actually shapes Paul's entire life. When you see him write his letters from here on out, he repeatedly goes back to the why. One place that's really amazing is in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul's describing what he, why he's doing what he does. First, he lists out all the ways as to why he was the most religious guy there was. But then he describes what happened to him in Jesus. And Philippians 3 verse 7 says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's like Paul says, you know, let me be really clear. Like, you know why I do what I do? Like, I want to know Christ, and I want to make him known. Like, 
all the fame, all of the power, all that other stuff, if somehow I'm not connected in life with Jesus, where I know Christ, like deep within my soul, I know him like in my bones, I don't know if it's worth it. He was so impacted by the grace he received in Jesus that even with all the bravery, all of the fire, all the influence that he may have gained on behalf of Christ, he says, it's not about what I achieved. It's about how I know deep in my soul that the why is the most important question. You just think like, what's the difference between a what and a why? And we're going to play this last clip before we close here. And just to give some context, you know, Joe and 22, they get found out by the counselors of the great before that Joe has in fact cheated death. It's not supposed to be on earth. So they, they capture them, bring them back to the great before. Joe's supposed to go to the great beyond. But 22, however, because of her experience, her brief window in life on earth in Joe's body, she actually receives her pass to go to earth. She's got the box checked off, uh, the last box on her list. But Joe's upset by this and tells her, like, the only reason that you got this pass is because of my personality traits and my life. And so I deserve that pass. And so, of course, she's, she's crushed by this and ends up just stripping off the badge and giving him the pass. And she goes off to the, lost, the zone of the lost souls. And Joe gets to go back to his body and finally do what it is that he's been chasing after to play his gig. And so we'll play this last clip and then we'll close out. What happens next? We come back tomorrow night and do it all again. What's wrong, Teach? It's just I've been waiting on this day for my entire life. It's... I thought I'd feel different. I heard this story about a fish. He swims up to this older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, says the older fish. That's what you're in right now. This, says the young fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean.
Maybe sky watching can be my spark. Or walking. I'm really good at walking. Those really aren't purposes, 22. That's just regular old living. As you can see, that something happened to Joe in that moment. At the very beginning of that clip, he's playing with his band. Like he knew what he was doing while he was playing, right? The second time that he's alone at his home, he knew why he was doing it. Those objects, you know, the, the, the pizza crust, the bagel, lollipop, all that stuff that he just placed out on his piano, that, that, that had been accumulated over his time spent with 22 while she's experiencing life in Joe's body. And those things symbolize the goodness and beauty of life. They symbolize the pause and the slowdown and reflection. And they're the things that can go easily unnoticed because they may seem small or insignificant, but the reality is, is that they make up the why of living and that they give us life. And see, the what is not the main thing. And if you want to find out what happens to Joe in 22 later on, you'll just have to, you'll just have to watch the film. But they say in the movie, the, the spark isn't the purpose. That box fills in when you're ready to come live. It's like when you're ready to come be. It's like what Phil said in his sermon last week. He said, God did not create you to be a human doing. You're created to be a human being, to experience his goodness, to experience his life. You see, on this side of eternity, yes, we do have mission. Yes, we do have purpose. Yes, you do have a calling. But there will come a day when all of that will be gone. There will be a day where mission, assignments, all the doing of life will cease. But you know what won't go away? Being in the presence of God. That goes on forever, experiencing his goodness, the beauty in relationship with Jesus. So let's get really good at that. Let's get really good at knowing our why, that the why is everything. And that's not to minimize the what. That's not to say that that doesn't have value. It does have value. But when you know your why, your what has more impact. You're walking in and towards your purpose. So you see, there's, there's lots of people in the world that are really humble people, but they're not very brave. Like, they're not really living for anything else, just want to stay comfortable and secure. And then at the same time, there's lots of prideful people living in the world that really just think that their life exists only for them. And I want to say that it's possible to live a life with godly ambition to want your gifts and your talents to actually exist for something beyond just yourself. And I want to say that if you can get in touch with that kind of humility, to know that your life was given to you by God and for God, 
and for others so that you might know him, I guarantee you'll live a pretty interesting life. But if you think that your life is for anything outside of that, your, your talents or your efforts, that that's going to bring you satisfaction. Let me just tell you, trust me, I, you'll be continually disappointed because I don't believe that anything outside of the life and hope in Jesus can satisfy. So why is everything? And so there's lots of people in this room that God has given you exceptional talents. Like there's a lot of people in this room, God has given you favor. That you're supposed to do some things. There's a lot of people in this room, like God's called you to actually make lots of money. You know, like some of you are like, I want that favor. Like, I'll take it. Right? No, but like, for real. Like, I think there's some of you in the room that like God has called you to do that, but not just for you, but to glorify him with it, to live a life of generosity. There's some of you that God's poking at, saying, you, you know, you got to go back to graduate school. That he's calling you to, to a higher education. There's some of you that God just wants to give you some courage. You know, like with, with COVID and this whole reality, it's knocked you off your horse and you haven't been able to get back up. Like there's some of us that have grown comfortable with this reality that you haven't even been able to like dream of opportunity, that you've just grown numb and you've gotten used to this and it's developed some sort of like cynicism. I'm just sensing that. And it's almost like it's become a friend, that feeling of like hopelessness, like, well, things just don't really work out for me and that's just life. And God wants to break that this morning. He wants you to get back to your life and, and start dreaming again, to wake up to, to his reality, to partner with him in that. So if that's you, I, we, we want to pray that he would give you courage to do that and that you would take hold of it, take hold of the influence that he's given you. Because the reality is in this life, I mean, you just have, you have one shot, one opportunity. <laughs> you capture it and let it slip. <laughs> Those who know, you're like, I see what you did there. But, you know, there's a reason that song has so much impact because there is something true about it. But that's for another time. It will do a God and Music series or something. I don't know. All right, why don't we stand? So we're just going to take some time to respond to the Lord and what he has for us. And as always, we have a ministry team. They'll make themselves available to you to pray. They'll be off to my right here, uh, socially distanced. We'll keep our masks on, but they would love to pray for anything you got going on. But I, I do just get the sense that there's some of us in this room that like you have just grown comfortable where you're at and you know, you just want to keep life safe and secure, but God is actually calling you to take a risk that he actually has more for you. Some of you, are, you might, you may have a good thing going right now. You know, there's this one thing that seems to be going really well in your life, but because of the way things have played out uh, in society and what's happening in the world, you're kind of like holding that thing really tight-fisted. Like, you're like, I can't let go of this. Like, this is the one thing giving me life. And it might be the thing that the Lord is poking at and saying, trust me with this. I want you to surrender this to me. That business, that goal, that relationship, whatever that may be that you're holding on to, God wants to, to humble you and say, you know, Lord, I give you this. I surrender to you. My life is not my own. My life has been uh, given to me by you, Lord. It exists for you and, and for others. And so if that's you, we'd love to pray for that as well. And if you, you are sick, uh, we'd love to pray for healing, anything you got going on. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to come right now. God, we just invite your presence. We acknowledge that you're here. And we thank you, Lord, for the life that we have been given. Holy Spirit, we believe that you've given us life, or our life exists for you, 
exists for others, God, and that you are the one that is glorified in the midst of it. And God, we also confess that sometimes we don't know what we're doing, but we know that we always want the why to be rightly aligned within our hearts, Lord. So would you do that today? Would you just shape us and shift us, God? Lord, there's many of us in this room that have experienced great levels of, of disappointment and loss. And Lord, even in the midst of that, would it be that we would come to know you more, God, to know you deep within our souls, that we draw closer to your heart, to know why we exist, God, to know that you are for us, that you go before us. God, give us courage once again. Breathe life into us once again. We surrender our lives to you because you are worthy, God. You are holy. All things belong to you. You are good, you are kind, and you are faithful, and you are strong when we are weak, God. So we just give you our lives. We ask that we would go out today continuously being ministered by your Holy Spirit, Lord, in everyday life, that we would see you in all things, God, that we would embrace the why. We thank you, God, for this morning. We commit this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so feel free to get some prayer if you'd like. Other than that, have a great, great Sunday, you guys.